What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. What's up, everybody? We're live with the Awesome FanDuel Show, the Week 11 edition. I'm your host, Matt Gajeski. I am here with Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Before we get started, be sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell. So you know when this and all other videos across the platform go live, we are pushing for 50K subscribers by the end of the year. So throw us that subscription. We're going to make this happen, guys. We're going to make it happen. And today, we are talking everything FanDuel, the FanDuel-specific slates, how you can approach this, how it differs from DraftKings. Kyle, how are we doing today, my man? Yeah, not bad, not bad. We uh, I tried to message Jordan. We're uh, tomorrow, Jordan, remember, we get our new song. We've been talking about that. We have a slew of rotation of songs that we can play for the Osmo intro. Jordan, I want a new song. We had one this morning. Lafay and I debuted a new song that Lafay was really into. It, but I mean, we have been mixing it up a little bit. It's very interesting. But uh, Kyle, let, let's get into the FanDuel slate a little bit. We like to start out this show just with some major contextual things. Usually it's injuries. This week, we don't have a ton of injury situations we're waiting on unless something pops up midweek. It's basically just the, the Drew Brees situation. And Jameis Winston's going to be the starting quarterback. There's some extra wrinkles with Taysom Hill that we'll get into on the specific FanDuel slate. So rather than talk about injuries, I want to just talk to you overall the context of this slate. It looks very different than slates we've seen basically up to this point. There's only two games with a 50-point total. One of them is falling, Atlanta, New Orleans. It started at 51. Now it is down to 50 points flat. It could even crest that 50 total and go down to 49 and a half by the time games kick off. And I think it's leading to spread out chalk across different games, potentially leading to some leverage spots. But overall, what do you make of the overall slate environment? Yeah, I think it is. It's uh, going to be a different different slate than we've had in previous weeks where I think there have been some just obvious like I feel like there's a lot of uh, like mixture of like early in the season. It was Dallas and then you lost Dallas, but it was Dallas, Seattle, Arizona and Buffalo. And then the Chiefs were just any one of the combination of those five teams and you got a 15% quarterback, a 10% quarterback, and two 25-plus percent top receivers from both of them. We simply don't have that. There is like – I would have thought that Buffalo – or Buffalo. I would have thought that Atlanta versus New Orleans would kind of be that. But I think maybe the uh, the Jameis Winston concerns, which are real, like there is definitely – like he's a, at least a lower floor quarterback, I would imagine, than Drew Brees, has kind of nixed that from even being a massively chalky game. So, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is going to be how do you choose to build when you don't have, like, the obvious like the obvious plays and the obvious leverage plays. I feel like when we get some of these high-scoring games, it's, oh, well, you could play the running back in that game. We're not going to have quite as obvious of things, but I think that's also going to just lead to generally different, like, maybe more contrarian approaches or just, like, more unique approaches going to players we haven't uh, had to play recently because I feel like, Last week, I was just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play the game of the week, and we'll see how it goes. This week, there isn't a game of the week, so I might get a little dirty, a little grimier with the quarterbacks and the stacks I'm playing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Ownership changes throughout the week, guys. So I just want to highlight that. Yesterday, I took a look. I didn't, I didn't, I updated the the sheet we have, of course, ahead of us today. But yesterday, I just looked and I tried to see at each position, isolating the top five most owned players. I wanted to find out what games they were in. And it turns out there was at least one top five player at one of the main positions in every single game. And I can't remember the last time I've seen that. Do you recall anything of that nature, Kyle? 
No, God, no. And I think the thing that is uh, propelling this even, uh, at least as of last night, was how miserable tight end is. It was like that was the the one position that like it didn't matter if you were playing in the worst game possible. If you had a pulse, you were going to be a top five owned tight end. And that's because we have so many terrible tight ends. So I think maybe that's what's contributing to it a little bit. But yeah, I think it is also more importantly just the fact that like there are 10 viable quarterbacks because there's no standout quarterback. And the same thing holds like generally when I say there are 10 viable quarterbacks, that means there are like 10 viable teams to stack as well. So I do think it is just a, a product of the way we are seeing the spreads finally play out. That is more akin to a 2019 slate essentially. Cause we've had so many shootouts this season. Yeah. One last thing I want to point out before we start our position by position breakdown, it's going to lead to a lot of leverage spots. For example, last week you mentioned this, it was hard to navigate Buffalo, Arizona, just because Everywhere you looked, there was chalk, the quarterbacks, not so much the running backs in that game, but there were, you know, were significant concerns with the runners here. For example, this week, if we're dealing with, you know, maybe a chalky Dalvin Cook, that leads to a ton of leverage within the game. You can get to some of the receivers. You can play guys on the Dallas side. And this is just one example. And we have many of these throughout the slate. So I think leverage is going to be crucial this week. And you're probably going to be able to play a lot of guys that we're normally excited about, but they're coming in with slightly reduced ownership, given the context of the slate. So with that, let's jump to quarterback. This is a very interesting position because our most owned signal caller is just 10% owned. Quarterback isn't typically a position where we're seeing egregious levels of ownership. But once we get down past the fourth most owned quarterback, we have Deshaun Watson at five. He's only 5.5%. And then there's no other quarterback above 5.2. So it is as spread out as I can possibly remember. Looking at the chalk specifically, if we want to call it that, is there someone you like at the top? Yeah, in terms of looking at the chalk right now, we have a decent amount of ownership on Lamar Jackson. I still, in my heart, just believe that, and I, it's not that I like have some like, religious belief in Lamar Jackson, it's that he runs the football a lot and he throws deep at an above average rate, both of which are good for producing splash games. So if I'm looking at like a Lamar Jackson versus Justin Herbert, even in that Deshaun Watson range, I think Lamar Jackson is maybe one of the more interesting options. And if we were looking at any of the like the higher owned quarterbacks that I would be like thinking maybe they come in mid to under owned, I would say potentially he could be the guy because I, I think Justin Herbert is more of the obvious play sort of, I mean, he's not Patrick Mahomes level, but he's in that spot that we saw Patrick Mahomes draw some ownership versus the Jets. And then the obvious ones, I think, I think everyone's going to be looking to New England and Houston. I mean, not as everyone as they were for Buffalo, Arizona, but I think that'll be the popular spot. So maybe that's the game we can try to attack uniquely with maybe just singles, not even single stacks with like a secondary stacks. I, I just can't quit this Lamar Jackson thing. Oh man, you're talking to a guy that plays Lamar Jackson, at least in some capacity, almost every single week. Uh, again, with these quarterbacks, I don't think we're dealing with a ton of ownership at each individual player here. The slate on FanDuel is really interesting to look at at how they price these guys. Again, we don't have Russell Wilson. We don't have Kyler Murray, Pat Mahomes. A lot of really good signal callers are on Island Games this week. So the most expensive quarterback is Aaron Rodgers at 9K. Once we get below him, we have Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson like those are the top three most expensive quarterbacks and we're seeing Herbert and Jackson come in as the top two owned guys again neither of their game environments particularly stand out so I think I'm comfortable getting away from them to some degree someone who's still in our top five that I have a lot more interest in is Deshaun Watson at 5.5 percent he's going up against the New England Patriots defense that has significantly regressed this year and this is a spot, like I mentioned at the beginning, where you can potentially gain some leverage off someone we'll talk about later in Duke Johnson, who projects to be semi-chalky. The receivers in this game do not project to be as highly owned. So you get Deshaun Watson, potential leverage spot. This New England Patriots defense is second in passing yards allowed per attempt. You can just stack this game, and I think you'll be contrarian enough. Is that an approach you're willing to take? Not necessarily with Deshaun Watson, maybe one of these other signal callers with moderate ownership. Yeah, I think maybe the most interesting thing, I do like Deshaun Watson. If there's a side of this game, uh, of that game, with two of the top five quarterbacks I believe that I'm taking, it would be the Deshaun Watson side. And I find it really strange that our ownership projections have at basically the same price, 77 for Deshaun, 76 for Cam Newton. Have Cam Newton is actually the ownership favorite by like a two and a half, a little over two and a half percent as well. I, I would have pegged them to be the other way around simply because I think Deshaun Watson has the longer standing track record of being a better fantasy quarterback. We have, I would imagine, like three or so games of Cam Newton being like a, a really above average, like GPP level fantasy quarterback, whereas Deshaun Watson, outside of his first three games and most recently like a weather ruin game versus Cleveland. 
I, he's been an absolute stud of a quarterback and the stacking options are probably just as obvious with him as they are with Cam Newton. When you look at like Jacoby Myers versus like a double stack potentially with the Deshaun Watson and his two top pass catchers. So I like attacking the Deshaun Watson side. I think if I'm like making a stand on like who I'm maybe not as excited about, it would probably be a Cam Newton or even uh, like maybe even Justin Herbert as well. Yeah. You want to talk about some signal callers that have a little more fragility baked into their projection. I think Cam Newton fits this bill. I think Ben Roethlisberger at times fits this bill. We're talking about teams that are willing to take extreme run heavy approaches when they're leading in games. Now, a game script has been difficult to project this year, specifically with the Patriots. We've seen them, they, we, we've seen them compete with Baltimore. And we've seen them also in the same game as New York, the Jets, that is a game that I personally did not think would be competitive. But when this Patriots team is playing with a lead, they are not afraid to run the ball. And they are one of these teams that will run it upwards of 40 times. That makes me concerned with Cam Newton, even though we know Houston has the defensive struggles. If New England gets up in this game, I think Cam Newton is a little more fragile than some other signal callers. But before we move on from the quarterback position, I, I got to ask you about the outlook of Jameis Winston this week. People want to know he's going up against this Atlanta secondary that has been beatable at times this year. Are you going to Jameis Winston in this game? Yeah, I definitely think you can go to Jameis Winston. I will have a decent amount of Jameis Winston, specifically because we just know how incredibly aggressive he is. And I think maybe like his uh, like his yardage potential, like the 300-yard bonus becoming more in play on band or on DraftKings specifically, maybe that would be like a slight lean towards him on DraftKings. So I, I think he's fine on both sides. I think his potential is just like, not limitless, but it, it's incredible either way, given that he still has maybe not as good of weapons as he had last year, but still an incredible cast of weapons and weapons that we haven't really seen been used in a way that is anything like we could see with Jameis Winston. From 2016 to 2019, he was over 10 yards average depth of target every single season. He's the only guy in that span with, even in 2020, 2016 to 2020, the only guy with multiple seasons of an over 10 a dot he just is so wildly aggressive that it is great for fantasy and i think it makes this game a very solid one to stack my only concern is the uh, is the Taysom hill situation i still think they are more likely i don't think Taysom hill even attempted a pass in the second half i believe i think they are more likely to just let james winston be pretty much the starter and we see like a tiny amount of wildcat or whatever you want to call it with Taysom hill I think that's mostly fine. Like, I think Drew Brees was a fine play in the right spots, even though Taysom Hill got in as a wildcat quarterback. I think the same thing holds for Jameis Winston. And the stacking options, like, as well, are quite obvious. I'm playing him probably exclusively with Michael Thomas. I think you could argue Jared Cook just because tight end is so bad that I don't mind saying, well, if tight end is going to be so bad, I will at least correlate it. That's something I really like to do with tight end, and we'll get there. But with tight end being as bad as it is, I think correlating that position to your quarterback can make a lot of sense. Given the offense, of course, you need to make sure your team has a viable tight end. We're not talking about like the Arizona Cardinals here, but Jared Cook certainly is a good stacking option. As far as some contrarian quarterbacks, again, I don't know how off the board you'll have to get. If you do end up playing some of these contrarian options, I will say you could probably jam and chalk a little bit easier this week. A few guys, I'm just going to throw some names at you, and I want to hear if any of them stick that I personally have interest in. Tua Tagovailoa against Denver. I'm just interested in Tua from an upside perspective. We haven't really seen him completely unleashed yet, so I think there is a hidden ceiling perhaps in his game. I am interested a little bit in Andy Dalton, and I think you probably hate this one, but we know the Minnesota Vikings defense has been brutal. I do consider Andy Dalton a decent upgrade over Ben DiNucci, and we have clear stacking options in Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. I think just on receiver talent alone, it's possible that Andy Dalton backdoors his way into a decent fantasy game. He's 6,900 on FanDuel. So that stack with Cooper, Dalton, and whoever else you want to run it with, you could even throw Cook on the other side as your run back. It shouldn't be very owned, and it's fairly cheap. Any interest in either of those guys? Yeah, your arguments make sense to me for Andy Dalton. I, I do totally concede that he is the best of the backup quarterbacks they have. He's cheap. They get a, a pretty solid matchup versus the Vikings with a decent total, and both defenses are just terrible. So there could just be a lot of back and forth scoring. So everything you were saying to me makes sense. And I like the more we talk about it, we've talked about it in a few different shows. I really am considering like, do I want to have just like a small percent of like Miami Lions be Andy Dalton, both either on FanDuel or on DraftKings? So it's definitely something I am now considering after you know, if you would have told me this on Monday, and you probably did, and I probably like gagged just a little bit. Now I'm definitely coming around to it. 
of my of he'd be the one I would choose out of the, of the two guys you just named. I would say of my low owned quarterbacks, I'm gonna go right back just to the other side of the game that I was talking about. I just I'm really surprised that we're not getting the chalk game being Atlanta versus New Orleans. I think both sides are completely viable. I think the Atlanta side would be my less preferred side specifically because I think we have a like an unknown upside with Jameis Winston on this offense. But on the other side of the field, like we have a known and very solid upside with Matt Ryan. And it only to me makes a ton of sense because outside of like Lamar Jackson, who I think has probably still a crazy upside, we don't have like a Kyler Murray, a Josh Allen, a Russell Wilson on on this slate. There is no like super dual threat quarterback that I haven't, you know, already talked about with Lamar Jackson. So because of that, or like Cam Newton's more of a threat as a runner, he's hardly hardly a threat to like really hit like, you know, 353 touchdowns as a passer. So there's no like true dual threats. So I don't feel like by playing a statue of a quarterback in Matt Ryan, I'm giving up a ton of upside in like leaving Kyler Murray on the table because he doesn't exist on that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Table. So for me, that is that is why I'm comfortable going to a Matt Ryan who really only does it with his, like, with his arm. But that's fine on this slate. There's outside of Lamar Jackson, who I will also have a decent amount of, He's the he's one of the higher upside passers. Last question before we move on from quarterback. This comes from Ian Douglas in the chat. How about Rivers? Philip Rivers, that is. And this is an interesting question. I hadn't considered it. That's the highest total game on the board. And it's mainly a price thing. And like I, it's hard to play Aaron Rodgers, Demonte Adams. That stack is incredibly expensive. On the other side, Philip Rivers certainly is not. I think he is a cheap pass catcher and Michael Pittman that I'm very interested in. Are people just going to get away from the highest total game on the week? Should I be considering Philip Rivers? Should I be looking at Aaron Rodgers despite his elevated price tag? Mm, this Philip Rivers question is difficult because it, it reminds me of the the Baker Mayfield, I think, five touchdown game where they had one of the higher implied team totals. Well, they, they had one of the higher implied team totals and they had one of the higher, like it was like a top three or four game total and no one was playing the quarterbacks, like on at least on the Brown side. I, I don't think anyone was playing Brown's quarterbacks in that game. And he goes out and throws five touchdowns. And I think that's kind of a testament to Vegas probably knowing more than us. Like the Browns come in with a, a great total every week. And sure, they're going to run more than most teams. But all it takes is a small, like one, like weird red zone efficiency or a small, like underdog. Like they get the flip script in terms of the spread. Any of these things can apply that total in a way that we are not used to. So for that reason, I think Philip Rivers is probably interesting and probably someone that like is like the ugly vomit stack that I think we should at least be considering. Am I going to get there? I'm not sure. I do think, though, that you hit on one player that regardless of if I'm playing Philip Rivers or not, I think it's a great correlation play with anyone on the other side. And that's Michael Pittman. It seems like maybe he could be taking over as the number one receiver. He was a high second round draft pick, not a bad prospect either. Missed uh, like a bunch of games in the middle of the season with uh, compartment syndrome that they then had to go in and repair with surgery. Comes back and immediately starts getting targeted, goes over 100 yards most recently. So, you know, we're not talking about receivers, but I do think this might be a game that goes at least on the on the Phillip Rivers and overall Indianapolis side that goes overlooked just because it's hard to pick out what's going on. That doesn't mean no one's going to score. It just means we have less certainty in who it's going to be. If I can have a little bit of certainty in Michael Pittman, which I kind of feel like I can, I'm actually going to be playing a decent amount of him. You know, maybe, maybe not with Philip Rivers, maybe though. I'll think about it. I'm with you on the Michael Pittman, and we'll we'll get it in deep with Michael Pittman as we talk about receivers. Before we move on to rushers, I want to talk to you about Awesome Plus. And we're referring to a lot of things that are available in Awesome Plus, particularly ownership is a big one you can gain access to. But there's content for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Awesome Plus weekly pass. It's available for $29.95. It includes full access to premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, premium Slack, and much more. If you're only looking to play NFL, you can also sign up for a weekly NFL package for only $14.95. Or you can give our NFL Express weekly pass a shot for $3.95. Again, Everything Kyle and I reference, all these important tools that we use ourselves, also himself uses and creates, all available in these packages. As we get to running back, we have the highest owned player on the slate projected. I would be surprised if this changes. It is Dalvin Cook at 29%. 
Now with Dalvin Cook, we are dealing with an extremely efficient, excuse me, extremely expensive price tag. We're talking Christian McCaffrey level 10.5K on FanDuel. Man, I remember we had this discussion back in week one, week two, and it was, do we fade Christian McCaffrey based on opportunity cost alone? Like there's, you and I both love Dalvin Cook. We both love Christian McCaffrey. But once we start talking about 10K plus for a rusher, I mean, man, you're really giving up a lot in your lineup. Are you willing to take a look at him in this spot? Yeah, I think uh, there are some spots that maybe you could get to him. I will give him a look. Like, for instance, I don't know if, like, you know, Philip Walker ends up playing. I actually still think I'd be interested in that stack. I would have so much money to go around that I could probably play a Dalvin Cook. In your Andy Dalton stacks, I think you probably get to the same argument where you have so much salary that you can afford to play, like, a well-correlated lineup that still has a really good running back and actually be super correlated. So I think maybe those are like the only scenarios that I can really see myself giving up so much money for one running back when I think there are paths to other players beating him. Like we obviously know there are paths. We saw it was, uh, I believe, Monday night, right, versus the Chicago Bears, that they just got in the backfield in every single play. And although, sure, he got 30 carries, he ran it like 3.2 yards per carry, didn't even top 100 yards on the ground, and he didn't score. So there are paths to even the most used and the most efficient backs failing. And at 10.5K, the paths are like even he doesn't score, like he only scores one touchdown and he doesn't catch a ton of passes. Even when you look back at that stat line and say that wasn't bad, it won't be enough at 10.5K. You need 120, 130 yards and a touchdown at least, or the slate just needs to be completely bereft of running back production, which it's certainly possible. But I do think when you look at the the like alternatives, can Aaron Jones beat him? Like Aaron Jones is very similar in that he gets a decent, like it's the carries really. He gets the same, if not more amount of receiving work. He has the same crazy touchdown upside because he plays on an offense that puts up a lot of points. I'd rather pivot down and, and pay for sure, like less touches. I, I certainly think Dalvin Cook projects to lead this slate in touches by a, a considerable margin, but can Aaron Jones not beat him at a far lower cost? No, I, I don't think it, I think it'd be crazy to believe that no one could beat Dalvin Cook, especially at that cost. So I will probably come in under the field on him. If I get into those Andy Dalton stacks, I think that's probably the scenario where I feel most comfortable. And like, it's not a bad stack and it correlates well with a good play. Dalvin Cook is a good play, like you talked about. So it's just the cost. And when you save so much money by playing, you know, a Dalton CD Lamb or whatever, you can actually afford to do the Dalvin Cook thing. Andy Dalton, the key to the slate. I'm just <laughs> kidding on that. But for reference, like you could play Kalen Balaj and like a Duke Johnson, and that's only a few hundred dollars more than Dalvin Cook by himself. Like he, he is ridiculously expensive. And I assume a lot of people are going to be taking that stars and scrubs approach when they play Dalvin Cook. Outside of Cook, we start to see level ownership. So he has about an eight-person edge over Mike Davis, the second highest projected running back at this point in the week. I was a little surprised to see Mike Davis that high, this high. I think recency bias could affect him a little bit, but there's really no one else in Carolina seeing any sort of workload whatsoever. People might point to last week, his reduced workload, but Mike Davis did get banged up in the game. So take that for what it's worth. He has functioned as a three down back in Christian McCaffrey's previous absences. We also have James Robinson up here, another player I'm a little bit surprised to see. I know Robinson has got there in recent weeks, but if you look back at some of the game scripts, Jacksonville's really hung around in some games. They had no business hanging around him. They're 14 point dogs to Green Bay. Jacksonville keeps this game competitive and it allows James Robinson to rack up a massive workload in previous games where James Robinson is playing in severe negative game script. His carries don't approach 20 and we've seen it in the past, which I I'm not saying fade James Robinson, but I think it makes him more fragile than a guy, you know, like Mike Davis, someone in the price range who's playing as a favorite or at least with a closer projected score. What do you make of Davis and James Robinson? We can throw this to James Connor, who's also 20%. They're all right in that range and in our top five most owned running backs on FanDuel. Yeah, so I think on FanDuel a little bit more when we talk about fragility, we should instead of like on DraftKings, I'm typically looking at does this guy catch passes? Can he be game scripted out? And while that is true as well on FanDuel because you still get half a point for reception, you still get like most players, most running backs aren't like live for the 100 yard bonus through the air anyway. So you're not really concerned about that. And you still get the receiving yards. But I am more looking at, or at least I am far more considering how likely or not are they to score touchdowns because versus, you know, not having bonuses, not getting the full PPR touchdowns become more heavily weighted just when the other things go down and they stay the same, they become more heavily weighted. And James Robinson with his low implied team total as like an underdog to one of the better defenses overall, not to mention they're like incredible rush defense versus Pittsburgh. Like I don't get like your chances of scoring a touchdown, even though sure James Robinson probably gets more touchdown, like share, uh, you know, more touchdown share of the pie than a James Connor. 
I think the implied team total being uh, the last time I checked, it was either 10 or 10 and a half more. I think I am more likely to score a touchdown by playing James Conner, more likely, like much more likely to get double touchdowns from someone like James Conner. The fragility really comes in when you think James or James Robinson goes out, gets 80 yards and doesn't score. Like that is a, a useless performance to you. So more when I'm looking at, and I still consider, you know, the game script uh, dependency or independency of someone like Robinson, who probably is going to catch a decent amount of passes, but his odds of scoring a touchdown seem fairly low, all things considered, just given that his team doesn't seem like they're going to be scoring a lot. Whereas James Conner, I do think is more likely to score. And you can look at cheaper guys like a Kalen Balage is probably, again, like a lower market share of the overall touchdowns that his team should produce, but they should score way more versus the Jets than James Robinson and Jacksonville should versus Pittsburgh. So if I'm looking at specifically on FanDuel, the running backs I want to fade, they're oftentimes running backs that I just don't think their teams are going to put up a lot of points. James Robinson likely fits that bill. I'm with you on James Robinson. I think there's this perception that James Conner is a little more fragile than James Robinson. And you and I both dug into this Pittsburgh situation because I've played James Conner now a couple of weeks in a row. And I'm, I'm going back and wondering, am I making terrible decisions? Like is James Conner just flat out like a 1A and a 1B timeshare type situation here? It wasn't that Pittsburgh was using other rushers in this game. James Conner handles 13 opportunities. No other rusher saw more than three. And that was actually just Benny Snell's the only other running back that carried the ball. He had those three carries. They just flat out weren't running. Now, of course, they, pl they played a game that was closer than expected against Dallas. And I think if they get up here in games, they will go back to a run-heavy approach they've shown in previous weeks. So I think James Conner is still a decent buy low. I would rather he came in with lower ownership here, but I certainly do feel a slightly more confident in Conner compared to James Robinson at this point. Once we start getting below this range, I think there's a lot of really attractive runners below James Conner, he's our fourth most on rusher. We get to players like Kamara, who's going to be in your Dalvin Cook price range. But then we get to some very attractive backs that are growing into emerging roles. Kalen Balazs is one you already hit on. We also have DeAndre Swift. Duke Johnson is someone that maybe recency bias has hurt a little bit with David Johnson on injured reserve. He should continue to see a sizable workload. Where are you looking in this range? It seems like you do have some interest in Balazs against the Jets. Yeah, but I mean, he's large implied team total, large favorite against a terrible defense. He's only 5,800, and he's pretty much cemented himself as the number one back, maybe more of a 1A to Joshua Kelly's 1B, but at the pace the team plays at and their general run-heavy approach, which will not, like, should not at all be hampered by the New York Jets defense or, you know, their offense managing to put up points, there's just no reason. Like, it's massive favorite, Kalen Balaj, who also acts as, like, solid leverage off of, like, potential plays in his price range. But over some popular, like, would it be shocking if he goes out and steals two touchdowns from Justin Herbert at the five-yard line or whatever? No, it wouldn't be. So everything makes sense from, like, him getting a lot of work, at least the majority of the carries for his team, his team being projected to score a lot of points, and getting just the cakewalk massive favorite matchup against the worst team in the NFL probably in recent years, too. So I think it just, like, we're kind of clinging on to the fact that, uh, oh, and it's also a revenge game, I believe. I don't know if he played any snaps for the Jets or not, but uh, revenge game for Kalen Balazs. So I think we give a little bit too much credit to the fact that we, like, believe that Kalen Balazs isn't talented. I don't really care how talented you are. You play the Jets' defense as a massive favorite, and I'm going to like you. Another one I like, DeAndre Swift, probably actually talented. 6,900, I think, in the same price range as a Mike Davis and a, and a James Robinson, actually a little bit less than those guys. It wouldn't be shocking to see him see that much less work than them. And he does offer pretty solid leverage off of Mike Davis, who they come in generally in the same ownership range within like 3% of each other. But I think one of them is probably just as good, if not a, a better play in DeAndre Swift, given the general inefficiency we've seen from Mike Davis and his ownership being a little bit greater. I'm with you on those backs. It's actually my favorite range to go right now. I have a lot of interest in Kalen Blage, not only because he's playing the Jets, but we've seen this Chargers team play with such an incredible pace. Even if Joshua Kelly siphons off five to 10 carries, Blage can still easily carry 15 times within the offense. And we've seen this on a weekly basis with LA, including last week where Joshua Kelly still comes up for seven carries. DeAndre Swift, I don't have anything to add here. You mentioned everything I would, I would particularly like myself about him. As we start to get to leverage plays at the running back position, with some of these backs now returning from injury, we're finding some low-owned gems. Miles Sanders is below 12% owned. He's going to see a near-feature back workload. I know he doesn't get the touchdowns pretty tilting last week, but I was very confident going forward with Sanders' workload. Even in tough matchups, I'm willing to get back to him because he's such a good receiver. Aaron Jones is someone I think we could get to again after he disappointed for everyone this week. Now he's coming in with 11% ownership. A couple of guys I find very, very intriguing. One is Ezekiel Elliott. 
Now, this guy is still averaging 20 touches per game, even with Tony Pollard working into this offense a little bit. I think this is going to be a competitive game against Minnesota, so I am interested in the contrarian options on Dallas. I will have some Elliott at a depressed price tag on Fandle. And then Salvin Ahmed, I still think Salvin Ahmed is going to have a workload with Matt Breida back. He's just played too good with without other rushers in the backfield. Anyone that you're particularly interested as far as leverage goes, are you going to take a, a stroll back to Zeke this week? So I've been thinking about Zeke. I was thinking about him a little bit before the show. And if I'm like, I mean, I'm mostly fading Dalvin Cook for the price. Like he's favored against a terrible Dallas defense. Uh, It makes sense to play him. But if Zeke is out here, and this isn't incredibly likely, this offense, even under Andy Dalton, wasn't good. But if Zeke does come out and chunk off 5, 10, 15-yard gains at will against a Minnesota defense that should not scare anyone, they're, they're pretty terrible, in fact. If he's able to do that and this team like covers the spread, wins time of possession, or even comes close to it, that could be just one or two fewer drives, fewer plays that we see from Dalvin Cook. And we know that running backs in the same game, like this is true, that they're generally like a a modest negative correlation, or at least they can be, especially because Zeke, like I think you'd probably need to get it done on the ground. I know we have... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Has some games with a decent like target share, but it hasn't been quite, uh, especially in recent weeks, it hasn't been great target numbers. So, if he goes out and uh, Dallas, even if they just like don't win, but they just like cover the spread essentially, and they are chunking off long plays, grinding up clock, like it's kind of the same thing we talk about with like Derrick Henry versus his opponents. I think Zeke could be some solid leverage off of Dalvin Cook. Man, it is, still feels weird to pay. I don't know. It feels weird both to say it, but then to do it, to pay 8K for a Zeke on an offense that has just been completely annihilated since losing Dak. It's a lot to pay for a running back who should like generally project to be inefficient. But efficiency is fluky, and if he does end up being efficient, not only is he a good play in his own right, but he's leveraged off of a Dalvin Cook, who I think is just a bit too expensive for my taste. So I like that. Love your Aaron Jones call as well. I think Salvin Ahmed is definitely interesting, and I kind of agree that I don't see much Matt Breida coming back. I I mean, he's mostly, in my opinion, just like a, a scat back, a guy who could figure to work in on like third downs. And they weren't really using Ahmed as a pass catcher anyways. They got one, uh, saw one target last week. So I think he just essentially eliminates Patrick Laird and DeAndre Washington from the lineup. We could still see 15 to 20 carries from Ahmed. And if he gets in the end zone once or twice, that's really all you need from him and his price. I like Miles Sanders. I don't, uh, not happy with how last week turned out. I'll throw one more to you though. Derek Henry, 8,200 in a game that I think is going to be underlooked, especially outside of Lamar Jackson, who's coming in as popular. Everyone else coming down in price, coming down in ownership. And we know Derek Henry has crazy explosive upside, I think maybe he could be an interesting leverage play to still get like the same type of volume, especially as a runner as Dalvin Cook, but at a lowered price and lowered ownership. I don't love the spot on the road versus Baltimore as underdogs, but I think it's just a game that I want to target. So I could correlate him with a Marquise Brown. I could correlate him with a Mark Andrews. And if I correlate him with Mark Andrews, it's again, just I get to correlate with a position that I don't feel good about doing anyways. So why not correlate it? Yeah, man, all these correlations sound pretty good to me. I'll certainly have him in those lineups. I am a little concerned with the workload. Since the team's uh, surprise by in week four, he hasn't eclipsed 25 touches in a game. That was after he saw 26 in all three of his first games. He has just 18, 21, and 20 touches in his three most recent games. So I, I think the volume has come down a little bit for Derrick Henry, but I am still interested in him when he comes down in ownership. It's really when he comes in very high owned, I'm scared of the volatility and I'm willing to fade him. So I am with you. I think targeting him given the ownership does make some sense in this spot. But before we move on to wide receiver, guys, we talked about the awesome weekly pass for $29.95. We have a deal going on right now. Maybe you're on a budget and you need a cheaper option. We have a special running right now for new members only. 
It's on awesomeo.com and it's an NFL weekly express pass for $1 when you use promo code Mayflower at checkout. This pass now includes access to all tools, content for showdown and single game slates, including player projections, ownership projections, and the top plays tool. Sign up now to get access to four major showdown slates, including the Thanksgiving day slate. The offer is valid through November 26th. And I'm not a mathematician, but I think that's Thanksgiving if I'm not mistaken. Now, Going to wide receiver, unlike last week, this is a position where we don't have anybody egregiously high owned. Again, things are spread out this week. The most owned wide receiver is Keenan Allen at 22.7%. And I think this is almost just straight up by default, partially because Devontae Adams is very expensive. But behind Devontae Adams, we're missing so many alpha receivers. Like we don't have Tyree Kill. We don't have the Seattle receivers. We don't have DeAndre Hopkins. So to me, it's like, who else is going to be really high owned? Like maybe Julio Jones, who we do see come into the top five. He's number four, as long as, as far as we're looking at, you know, most owned wide receivers. But I think Keenan Allen's ownership makes sense here. The question to me is, are you willing to target him against the Jets or are you just going to look for leverage in this spot? I mean, I will, I, I think it's fine to go to Keenan Allen. See, as always, it's an easy matchup versus terrible defense solid implied team total. It's simply that I think uh, like he doesn't really correlate well with a ton that I want to do, especially when you look at FanDuel's pricing, you don't necessarily like getting like on DraftKings, you can get a three K wide receiver and they get, you know, five, six catches for 50 yards. And that's enough to actually like win you and like win you a GPP. You don't have that same dynamic where these like super cheap receivers end up winning you GPPs just by getting a lot of catches. The price spread is different where you don't quite get the advantage of going down like all the way to like a three K and you don't get the advantage of them being able to rack up catches, but still not like actually produce a lot. So for that reason, I don't think Keenan Allen correlates as well with like a Denzel Mims or something specifically because you don't get the pricing advantage. You don't get the PPR advantage. So not as interested on Keenan Allen. And also, I guess Keenan Allen is kind of a guy who say, well, he's a PPR machine. You got to play him on DraftKings. I think he just doesn't correlate as well with my lineups. And for that reason, I think I'm fine pivoting off of him to like potentially a, a Michael Thomas if I'm looking to pay up. Even potentially Devontae Adams, because I do think uh, he, he can still get there. Like, he has multi-touchdown upside. I know 9,500 is a lot, but that would also be potentially a contrarian way. As you fade Dalvin Cook, you go Devontae Adams. You can probably even correlate your Devontae Adams with like a Michael Pittman on the other side. So, of the chalk guys, I'm not saying Keenan Allen is a terrible play. I just don't think he fits into the way that I'm necessarily building rosters. All right, we've alluded to him twice. Tell me about Michael Pittman, Kyle. Why are we interested in Michael Pittman? Not to mention he's coming in at 53 percent ownership on FanDuel he's 5.5k so I mean if that's not to like tell me about his role I mean it seems like it seems like Michael Pittman should step into the number one receiver role I believe he saw eight targets last week caught seven of them went over 100 yards and it's not even that I think he is like right now a dominant alpha number one receiver he doesn't step in and look like you know Justin Jefferson as a rookie it's that the alternatives on his team are so incredibly bad. Like the percentage of yards that uh, that T.Y. Hilton, Marcus Johnson, and Zach Pascal have produced relative to their offense, you know, just the, the yardage share they have had are all outside the top 75 receivers. They have gotten no consistent production from any of their guys outside of Michael Pittman when healthy. So I think he should be the number one by default almost. And like, uh, like whoever said in chat, this is not uh, like, Based on Vegas, we kind of should be targeting the solid team total of Indianapolis. So I think Michael Pittman simply by default is his team's number one receiver. And he's also good, like high second round pick, decent college dominator. Like he was a good prospect. The NFL dictated that by spending high draft capital on him. Now he's low priced in a, in a very solid game environment. I don't think there's any reason why we should be going away from Michael Pittman. And I, right now we have him as one of like the four best uh, points per dollar plays under 6K essentially. So value's good. Game environment should be good with a very solid total and his team is favored and he should see a lot of targets because his teammates are downright awful. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, man. I played T.Y. Hilton a couple times early in the season when we were yeah. assuming he was still, you know, old T.Y. Hilton in a wide receiver one role with a depressed price on FanDuel and it just flat out didn't work. I, I want to hit on some other leverage options you mentioned. I think without some of the alphas on the slate, getting to some of these leverage guys could be very key. Michael Thomas is someone with 12.2% ownership. There is concern with Michael Thomas, probably regarding his injury. Like, is he fully recovered? He's been very bad when he's actually been on the field. I'm not a doctor, so I'm going to continue to base this off my priors with Michael Thomas leading the league in nearly every receiving category last year and take a, a walk back down Michael Thomas lane in a good game environment. Again, 
only two games totaled above 50 points. Michael Thomas is playing in one of them. We also have, I think, maybe the top leverage spot for me as far as pass catchers go. Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, both coming in right around 10% ownership. Brandon Cooks is someone I really want to highlight here. He comes in cheaper. He comes in lower owned than Will Fuller. But I very much believe this guy is the wide receiver one for the Houston Texans, at least at this point. He's out-targeting Will Fuller, at least in four of the or three of the last four games. And if he's not even out-targeting him and they're playing the same role, you're getting a break in both price and ownership. Is Brandon Cook someone you're willing to look at? I honestly think his ownership might increase throughout the week. I think we've seen that at least once or twice where their ownership comes in projected to be similar, but the public kind of recognizes what Brandon Cooks is. But I think it doesn't matter. Let's say we get Brandon Cooks at, you know, 12 or 13% and Will Fuller drops to seven or eight. I still think as long as I'm stacking Brandon Cooks with a modestly owned Deshaun Watson at like, you know, 12 or 13% Brandon Cooks, that's perfectly fine because the like the value is there in that he is Deshaun Watson's number one receiver at 6,100. And the correlation is there. And like, they're not going to be incredibly popular. Even if Cooks ownership does rise, I don't like, it's not going to get up to 15. I wouldn't imagine at least it goes like, you know, one and a half times what it is right now. So because of that, I think the ceiling looks at like 12, 13%, maybe I'm fine with going into that in a game that I want to be playing specifically from the Houston side in terms of where I'm stacking correlates well with a modestly owned quarterback. You laid it out. Brandon cooks over the past four weeks, more targets and just as many air yards as will fuller really no reason not to go to him. I also like will fuller, but just when you look at these two guys in a vacuum, if they're going to be a thousand different and the public doesn't seem to care that Brandon cooks is the number one receiver. Why would I not play Brandon cooks? I'm with you. I love Brandon cooks. Uh, okay. So we talked about this Dallas stack a couple times. I want to get your, your pulse on Amari Cooper. His targets have been down basically since the Dak Prescott injury, but he's still largely functioning as this team's wide receiver one in that span. I, Michael Gallup has slightly more targets, I believe in the last three games, but most of that is influenced by a 12 target game for Gallup, which easily bested his, his his best mark of the season cooper is coming in with an extremely low price and he's coming in just 2.8 percent owned i'm always going to be interested in guys i think are talented and that are wide receiver ones on their team i still believe cooper is functioning in this role at such a reduced price is he someone you would look to i think another player that might fit this mold is dj Moore at 4.6 percent. i just think these are talented players that regardless of scheme like we've seen it with terry mclaurin sometimes just talent can win out over bad quarterback play yeah i completely agree i think that especially talent plus volume and for most of the season we still saw amari cooper getting volume and i think it has been so fluky given that they have had like a different quarterback in either three consecutive weeks or like three plus a, a two stretch of one of them it has been you know Danucci, gilbert dalton and i think in the first three games without dak they had a different receiver lead their team in targets in every single week so i don't i, I really think the data we can draw from the non-dak prescott games is quite useless it's not completely useless but it's very difficult not only is it a small sample but it's a sample that keeps changing throughout like within the sample so let's look back at our priors and to start the season sure cd lamb was producing but amari cooper i do believe up until the dak prescott injury was leading the team in targets. so if i had to rank them despite the recent like like you said 12 target game from michael gallup i would still look amari cooper then cd lamb then a very distant michael gallup so cooper as my number one in this team i still believe based on our priors he should be like, he would make the most sense as the stack. He's cheap. He's low owned. And I do think like uh, it would be if you're playing Dalvin Cook, you almost have to play one of these cheap Dallas players. Even if you're not, I still like it. I would maybe go with like a Justin Jefferson correlation. But if you are playing Dalvin Cook, I don't think you can afford to just say like, well, I know Dalvin Cook's the best play. I'm going to play him. If you're doing that, you need to find a way to make your Dalvin Cook lineups different. I think people don't want to play this uh, Dallas side, obviously, based on the ownership. They do not want to play this Dallas side of things. I'm running right into that, and I'm correlating my lineups with a cheap, talented receiver in Amari Cooper. I think you can go C.D. Lamb as well. Michael Gallup's kind of the odd man out for me. I agree with that. I, I do prefer it, Amari Cooper, than C.D. Lamb. Second, before we move on, anyone else you want to really highlight at the wide receiver position? There's a couple of people talking about Hollywood Brown in our chats. <laughs> I honestly think Hollywood Brown is fine. I took a, a look at his routes. He's still running a route on 98% of dropbacks for Baltimore. I think it's mainly a function of their run-heavy approach. And the fact that Lamar Jackson has been very inaccurate downfield. Anyone else you want to highlight here before we move on? Yeah, so at the top, I just think it's interesting. Robbie Anderson is right now. He's only 6,300. I like both Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. In fact, I think they both offer very solid leverage off of Mike Davis. And uh, it's just a good 
pretty solid game environment, at least especially if Teddy Bridgewater is able to play. Robbie Anderson right now, based on our ownership projections, is the number one value. And it's, oh my God, it's by a wide margin too. And it's because he's clearly operated as the number one receiver. And it's even like why we see DJ Moore as viable is because they run, like we can think of it like a, a DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett situation where Tyler Lockett, because he has such good target volume, can get there. And that's the DJ Moore in this situation. I guess that'd be, Tyler Lockett would probably be the uh, the uh, Robbie Anderson in this situation. I don't know. It's a top two, it's a top two set of receivers and they really don't use a third very much. And when they do, it's like Curtis Samuel on like end arounds and stuff. So they can both get there. I like DJ Moore too, but Robbie Anderson as our number one value coming in at like 12% ownership, I just think makes a ton of sense, both in just a points per dollar versus ownership play and a leverage play off Mike Davis. Man, I, I love Robbie Anderson. Anytime you can play the wide receiver, like, do you think his low ownership is because of the Teddy Bridgewater stuff right now? Maybe, but I don't think it would like rise above some of the guys ahead of him. Like, who do we have just ahead of him? I went to click on my tab and I actually hit X. Read off some of the guys just ahead of him. Just ahead of Robbie Anderson. We have yeah. Devontae Parker, Justin Jefferson, Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I, Justin Jefferson is a guy I certainly think will end up being more owned than him because I think people are trying to target these Vikings and we're coming off a good game. Like maybe he leapfrogs Devontae Parker, but I don't think he gets above like 14 or 15% ownership. That's still fine for me. Yeah, man. I mean, anytime you can play an undrafted free agent from the Tulane Green Wave, I'm certainly interested. Big game tonight for the Tulane Green Wave taking on Tulsa. If you're interested in some college football, it's a hot game tonight. Anyway. Before we move on to tight end, guys, we have so much free content at Osmo. Today, free content-wise, we have NFL ownership projections, NFL showdown projections, PGA projections, and MMA ownership projections. We also do a lot of giveaways on these island games. So Thursday Night Football, of course, if you head over to Twitter and you look at our Twitter account, it's at Osmo underscore com. All you have to do is follow the instructions on the pin tweet. There will be a graphic there. Basically, what you're going to do is predict whether Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson will throw for more yards tonight. Follow all of those steps, and you can win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Not enough there. Check out our Odd Shopper tool, my personal favorite tool on the Osmo platform. I am a huge sports better, of course, but this tool, you can literally sign up for free. You can look at totals, lines, player props, everything you want across various books, find the best price, and it helps you significantly with your bottom line. There's also a number of other features here where you can track your bets, you can get alerts when bets hit a certain price, and best of all, this tool is completely free. This is something that I use every single week in my process when trying to just find the best line across sports books. So if you are a sports better, you're thinking about getting into sports betting, make sure you take a look at this tool. Kyle, let's head to, man, probably the grossest position in DFS, but we got to talk about tight ends. And this week it is a, an important conversation because we, of course, Kittle's hurt. Travis Kelsey is not on the main slate. Darren Waller is not on the main slate. Zach Ertz is a shell of his former self. Who do we go to at tight end, my friend? Who are we looking at? I mean, our ownership projections, I don't think are particularly wrong. Hunter Henry seeing at least four targets in every single game. Finally scored last week, I believe. We only have him at 13% ownership. It's not like like people are only gravitating towards him at 20 plus. I feel like we've seen that with Darren Waller as the only good tight end in the main slate a few times where he gets like 20 plus percent projected ownership. I think I think the ownership makes sense on Hunter Henry at 13, 13%. If I'm looking to get off of that, which I think is, is viable, I don't think it's like you're making some big galaxy brain play by moving off just a 13% owned guy. But I do think Dallas Goddard, basically the same price range, probably plays a similar, if not more robust role against a Cleveland defense that is like, I think, 25th or so in passing yards allowed, despite coming off two games where their opponents literally just couldn't throw the football because the weather was so bad. So before that, I would imagine they were one of, and they still are, you know, pretty terrible pass defense. Dallas Goddard led his team in targets, receptions, receiving yards through the first two weeks, and then obviously got hurt, and we haven't seen much of him since. Seems like he's getting back his feet under him. He had uh, his best game since week two last week. So in the same price range, I think you get similar volume, maybe uh, not even that different of a matchup, frankly, especially if Cleveland can keep up as an offense. That means you get just more overall volume from Dallas Goddard's game, which could make up for probably the Jets being the worst defense in the league or something like that. So I think Dallas Goddard in the same price range would be like the the one-for-one -one pivot off of Hunter Henry. I love Dallas Goddard. I think if, if Dallas Goddard starts seeing some of his early season volume again, people will be kicking themselves wondering like, man, Dallas Goddard was this cheap, this low owned, and I didn't yeah. consider playing him. So I think just based on talent alone in the slate of tight end, you have to consider a guy like Dallas Goddard. 
our chat is on fire with the the tight end. So there's a couple guys in chat that I'm going to throw your way that the people want to hear about. Of course, thank you guys all for your comments in chat. We appreciate you very much. Throw us that thumbs up button if you haven't already. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. We are making the push to 50K subscribers by the end of the year. It's a real challenge, but we're going to see if we can do it. The people in the chat are wondering if they can go back to Mark Andrews. Now, Andrews himself is coming in with the second highest ownership at tight end. I think this is kind of by default given the slate, but we have strong priors on Andrew, very efficient receiving tight end. I think the main problem then is just has just been this offense and Lamar Jackson not really being able to get some of his pass catchers the ball. Are you comfortable with Andrews? Yeah, I think I'm comfortable with Andrews, but the only reason I would pay up for Andrews would be to correlate him with Lamar Jackson because the ceiling just really hasn't been there. I mean, last week, I believe, was his ceiling game with 61 yards on seven catches. So you're relying on touchdowns, and that's fine. Andrews produces touchdowns at a higher rate than most other tight ends, especially when Lamar Jackson is actually throwing those touchdowns. He's typically on the receiving end of them. But I do think that means that because you essentially need a touchdown, whereas like Logan Thomas, for instance, or Hunter Henry could get there on six catches, 75 yards. And if, touch, if like tight end is a miserable, miserable week, that could be all you need to win a tournament. When you're paying that much, you really do need your touchdown. And even not like if not, you just haven't been able to get there without the touchdown, touchdown from Mark Andrews because he doesn't see the ball enough. So because I'm saying like it's touchdown or bust on Andrews, that means I know that when I play him, I'm saying he catches at least one touchdown. It probably means Lamar Jackson had a decent game. So for that reason, I think he he is one of the tight ends that I'm more looking to correlate. When I look at paying down, it just isn't uh, like the correlation becomes less necessary because it doesn't require a big game from your quarterback to have a Logan Thomas or a, a guy I know you like, a Tyler Eifert to pay off. Like, Letton can have a terrible game. Eifert can still get there because he's cheap. So I think for, for Andrews, I'm probably limiting him to stacks of Lamar Jackson, but I'll have those stacks. So I'll have some Andrews. Listen, guys, Eifert, so I've been talking a little bit about Eifert on DraftKings, <laughs> where he's 2.7K. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. FanDuel, Eifert's 4.6K. Like, I'm paying less than $1,000 more to get up to Hayden Hurst. Like, I'm flat yeah. out not playing Eifert on, on FanDuel. On DraftKings, it's a different different discussion where I'm getting, like, a 3K discount for Eifert. So the Eifert thing is a joke, guys, in chat. Don't worry. I'm not going to lose money on Eifert this week. I'll lose money somewhere else. There is a really interesting wrinkle to Fandle that I think we should touch on and maybe it's going a little overlooked Taysom Hill has tight end eligibility on Fanduel. now projecting his role moving forward is going to be increasingly difficult of course no Drew Brees I think we could maybe consider Taysom Hill I don't know more likely to touch the ball like maybe a few carries potentially a few pass attempts he's gotten a few targets in the past can we look to Taysom Hill at 4.5k on Fanduel and slot him into our tight end slot Dude, imagine getting like I know I know FanDuel I believe has the the Superflex format, but you can play Superflex in your regular in your regular classic style. Just play Taysom Hill, and how sick would that be if they ran some like trick play and you get the correlation of the quarterback to quarterback throw? And yes, I do agree that without Drew Brees, I think we should expect to see more of Taysom Hill. How much? I don't think it's a lot more, but it is a very unique proposition. And uh, yeah, I don't think it's impossible for him to go out and score like one through the air and one on like one on the ground or, you know, the other, the other end of being through the air. So I don't think he's a bad play and he's super cheap. If like, for instance, if they had priced him up as if he was a quarterback or even at like, you know, a 6k range, I wouldn't be talking about him, but given that he's what 4,500, I believe, I think it's at least worth, uh, worth considering Maybe still only something I get to in like uh, in game stacks, but uh, I- interesting nonetheless. And he's so he's like fairly affordable. So yeah, I think you can definitely look to Taysom Hill. How much am I going to play him? I'm not really sure yet, honestly. There's people in the chat saying, "Will Taysom Hill really be overlooked?" That's an honest question. Taysom Hill, you know, I mean, our time- ownership projections they say he will be right, like overlooked. He won't be popular. People don't see him as this free square. Yeah, for sure. Of course, these will change throughout the week. So keep your eye. Maybe, maybe Taysom Hill shoots up boards. I don't know. He's a guy that always seems to be discussed on showdown. You know, like, all right, Taysom Hill comes in. Maybe he's going to get a couple wildcat touches near the goal line and people play him. This is a, d- a different circumstance, of course, with Jameis Winston rather than Drew Brees. So there is potential for Taysom Hill here. I feel like this is risky. I would rather play someone like Hayden Hurst. I would rather, you know, I mean, like this is a week where I would honestly consider John U. Smith. I've said a lot of mean things about John U. Smith. Hopefully he doesn't watch <laughs> these videos throughout the year, but it's all been based on ownership. It's nothing against John U. Smith as a person. I'm sure he's very nice and he's a very talented football player. I'm only interested in guys on low volume passing attacks at the tight end position 
when they come down in ownership. And we have Johnny Smith at 1.6%. I am certainly interested in this. Do you have any love for Johnny Smith this week? Yeah, it's a game that I've talked about a lot on the Lamar Jackson side, but almost always I'm looking to correlate with something on the other side of the ball. And for me, I think Johnny Smith is, is just as like high variance as an A.J. Brown or a Corey Davis, specifically because those guys have kind of traded off good games. And when you look at the high variance on a 12% 6K Johnny Smith, yeah, that's variance that I think if it doesn't hit, I make a lot of money. This is variance where I think if it does hit and I just play a little bit of Johnny Smith, I actually have a successful week. So it, it's the exact same argument you're saying, just differently worded apparently, that uh, when, when guys who have high ceilings, low floors are going to be the chalk of the slate, I'm probably going to talk bad about them. The same thing with Derrick Henry. When they're gonna when they're gonna be low owned, and I know their ceiling remains unchanged, which I think that is the case with John U. Smith going forward, I'm gonna be interested in them. So I am, especially in my Lamar Jackson line, it's going to be playing some John U. Smith. I think for the the same reason, I would be considering fades of these tight ends: Logan Thomas, Mike Jasicki. Logan Thomas, it's not so much his role is tenuous in this offense. He actually has a pretty defined role. It's just when his ownership climbs, I don't think the ceiling is there for a Washington team that has trouble scoring points. And when they do score, most of it's coming just straight up through McLaurin. So when we see Logan Thomas at near 8% ownership on a FanDuel slate, I'm not going to have a ton of interest there. Same with Jasicki at 7.2%. It's just not a situation I really want to target. Uh, There's a question from the associate in the chat. Where can we find ownership percentages. If you head over to Osmo.com, you can check these out for free today. We have free content every single day. Lucky for you, the associate in chat, the ownership projections are free today. So everything Kyle and I are referencing can be found on the site. They change throughout the week. They're created by Osmo himself. Very accurate and a phenomenal tool when you're looking to just see where the field will be. Kyle, I don't have a lot else to add at tight end. So let's talk about some stacks before we head out of here. We've got about five minutes left. Now uh, you guys have probably gathered. So I'm going to give you my favorite contrarian stack right away. It's a game that I like a ton because of the bad defenses. Now it's Minnesota taking on Dallas. And I honestly think you could play this both ways. Minnesota will go a lot past heavier in games. They're trailing this specific game, Minnesota taking on Dallas the total's already climbed. It's up to 48 and a half. This is, I think, personally, because the defenses are so bad. Minnesota in particular, they've been down a lot of players in their secondary, a secondary that already replaced four starters this year. So that should open up some passing some passing volume for this Dallas passing attack. I like Andy Dalton as a cheap stack. I think you could stack him with Cooper, maybe look to CeeDee Lamb. And then he has the perfect run back in Dalvin Cook on the other side that allows you to jam some expensive chalk. So that's one stack that I particularly like. We do have a top stacks tool on Osmo.com, which has a lot of very good useful information. But is there a stack you're looking to? Yeah, so uh, I think on both, uh, like on all sites, it is looking like people are going to, and maybe this is the injury thing, but given that we're not going to get like a, a perfect picture of what we'll see from either Teddy Bridgewater or even like potentially Philip Walker if he plays pretty till pretty late in the week. I think our top stack tool is just simply in love with Carolina. And so are our projections. Like our projections say they're just simply undervalued. I'm talking about Robbie Anderson, but even Curtis Samuel as the number three, getting a decent amount of work, probably not enough to be considered on a normal slate. When you look at the context of this slate, like his price simply makes him right now our number two overall points per dollar play at wide receiver. I think people continually sleep on this Carolina offense. If Teddy Bridgewater comes back, I think double stacks are in play. If they use Philip Walker, and if they also commit to using Philip Walker for the entirety of the game, or at least make it seem like that's the case, I think Carolina versus Detroit is simply a good game to target, and people are going to be well under the field or well under like what they should be relative to its odds of hitting. Yeah, another another team that the top stacks tool really likes is Houston taking on New England. Yeah. They, they have the second highest value projection on our board behind Carolina, and it's extremely close between these two teams. One team that you're projecting to get a ton of leverage from is one we talked about that maybe we should highlight a little bit because we didn't spend a lot of time here. It's Green Bay. We talked a lot about the Indianapolis side and how we're interested in Michael Pittman. On Green Bay, you get Aaron Rodgers coming in with an elevated price tag. Of course, we love Devontae Adams. Is there a secondary receiver you'd be willing to potentially take a look at? They did activate Alan Lazard off injured reserve. 
Yeah, they activated Alan Lazard, and I'm not sure if it was like a positions coach or the head coach, but said that they would be easing him back into the lineup. And because we've seen Alan Lazard, like, or because we've seen Marquez Valdez Scantling produce in recent weeks at least, that makes me think that they would be comfortable doing it. Like, that is probably true, that they will probably not use Alan Lazard on every single snap until the next few weeks because he's coming back from his injury and he's probably an integral piece of their offense when fully healthy. So I think Marquez Valdez Scantling would still be the guy. And we saw it. Like, he is capable of capitalizing on all the air yards and all the targets he gets we've seen in the past two weeks now with three touchdowns in the past two weeks over 100 yards last week do i think it is definitely a knock on his projection that alan lazard is back yeah probably but because of what the coaches are saying about easing lazard back in it makes me feel a little bit more confident about mbs and significantly less confident about a lazard yeah i think that makes a lot of sense uh, that'll do it for us today guys of course we have shows every single day we have a live before lock tonight. It is one of the most exciting island games. I can remember. Kyle, you are a part of the show. What time can we find the live before lock stream? I believe we will be on probably going live at 720, uh, one hour exactly before, and we'll go right up until kickoff. Yeah, man, we get Kyler Murray facing Russell Wilson, so it's not going to be one you want to miss. If you do miss any of these shows live on YouTube, you can always find us across the podcast networks wherever you get podcasts we will be there say you just don't even want to leave youtube open on your phone check us out wherever you personally listen to podcasts otherwise guys thank you for viewing hit that thumbs up button on the way out we will be back again next week i'm your host matt gajeski on twitter at pat underscore gajeski he's kyle dvorak at kyle tweets here good luck guys Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.